Welcome to the Core Podcast, brought to you by Core to Cloud. We talk about all things cybersecurity, about the latest technologies, the insights, the learnings, and also a little bit about our culture in this ever-evolving environment. I'm Kelly, and I head up the marketing department. And I'm Phil from the technical team, and we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way. Phil talks technical, why I keep it lighthearted and remove all the jargon. We also have a selection of guest speakers, including a few people popping in from the Quarter Cloud team. So let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We're continuing with our mental health discussion. Um, and in actually in person, because I've done a few, most of these are virtual, uh, Danny's come to join us. Danny, would you like to introduce yourself to anyone that's listening that doesn't know yourself? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, my name is Danny Matthews. Um, the way that I usually introduce myself is that uh, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a designer. Mm. And... Uh, I went to an all boys sports, uh, all boys school in Coventry that was trying to become a sports college, uh, which meant that if you wanted to draw for a living, there wasn't that much support or encouragement. You either played football or rugby or hockey, and that was kind of the end of it. So I did what anyone else would do and went and got a, a proper job. Uh, skipped around that for a, for a little bit, but eventually, through I think what we'll talk about today ended up revisiting my childhood passion and now every day do what I love through my company Short Story Ventures where we invest creativity and capital in businesses we believe in that want to solve a bigger problem. You sped that through really quick, just missed a few skips and a hops and a jump to where you got to the end. (laughs) Um, So obviously I'm exploring this topic because Mm. I work within cybersecurity um, and it's becoming more and more evident Interestingly, I'd really looked at this topic on the tech team because the statistics are very much done on the tech team burnout in cybersecurity. Topics that have come out today that I hadn't even considered was the sales team mm-hmm. and the sales pressure. And then it's made me think, oh, actually, it's not just a tech problem and the tech department. It's actually all departments because the faster the tech team are working and they're revolving and they're resolving cybersecurity or and then if a cybersecurity incident does happen yes we look for them to be the heroes but the person that could have created the cyber attack could have come from marketing so that it's like this isn't just is is a human issue really yeah. i looked at it from a um a company to where i work in the cyber industry to i've always had an interest in this topic and the impact of people but what i'm learning more and more the more people i'm interviewing is that mental health affects all of us mm. it can happen at any time there doesn't seem to be a one fit all some people i've spoken to and they're like i was really happy and then i had panic attacks or i thought i was happy um there doesn't seem to be so when i'm trying to like get around in a big circle is that i thought i could do this and mm. we could do a research paper and i'd be able to because i liked to do something and have an endpoint. be like here you go here's the golden book this if you work in cybersecurity and you've got mental health problems here's the five things you need to do um the one thing i'm learning is that's not going to come out of this um so maybe i feel what's going to come out of this is people sharing their stories mm. because everyone's mental health journey has been very different um so what would you say your journey has been and why are you quite open to talking about it because some people have had to interview it's taken quite a lot of courage because um you know someone even quoted today that you know like oh i'm a man 
and uh, you know i don't get stress it's not a man thing yeah that's an that's an interesting perspective like from a masculine feminine point of view mm-hmm. uh, i um i grew up in a family of predominantly women okay um mother sister grandma auntie uncle um but very much outnumbered by females in the family um and even now my wife's family is a huge family she's got six aunties that have all got kids grandkids and great grandkids and i don't know anyone in her family that hasn't got um less than four five six kids and most of them are girls and women um so i would say uh, out of the you know hundreds of family members she has 90 percent of them are are female so i'm I've been surrounded throughout my life, I think, and I've only recently come to recognise this, but I've been surrounded by kind of a feminine energy mm-hmm. way of doing things. We've been talking about it today because it's not necessarily your gender. Exactly. It's kind of like your energy. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Female. Even yeah. now, I have 95% of my clients are women. Interesting. And that's okay. happened naturally. And I think that's just the, the energy that I grew up with and mm. the kind of uh, the way of how women are sometimes rubs off on you as a person and yeah. I guess I just uh I have that way about me and, and it attracts like for like if you like mm-hmm. um but the point in that is that um being around that I think has allowed me to be to ease into vulnerability uh, to a certain extent okay I think it helps that I've become very very self-aware over the past five or six years can you for anyone how do you think that self-awareness came to you was it something forced you to do it like was a mirror held up at you at a certain moment in your life or do you think it's just something um as you've got older you've learned more about yourself okay uh i think uh i've always been very intentional about learning and finding out new things and uh trying new things uh, I've never been afraid of trying new things, even if I think it might go badly, um, which has really helped. You know, I've never shied away from from trying. Uh, you know, I've always tried to start businesses or do things on the side or, or what have you. So that's helped with that, I think. But there was a one event which I think held a pretty sharp mirror to me um, to teach me a few things mm. about not ignoring signs, uh, not... Uh, chasing the wrong thing for example um, and that's a whole story in itself which I'm sure we'll get into <laughs> okay yeah so you've had a lot of ex- you've had a lot of experience and like we're getting into I mean we might as well just go straight to the point of that because I'm sure everyone's thinking well, what, what was is that? he on about, what yeah. about? <laughs> um, so yours was a burnout yeah. you classify yeah you classify it as a burnout Pr- pretty serious burnout yeah um, so uh, I was in financial services. I was um, doing pretty well. Uh, I went from a private medical insurance protection to mortgages. Um, me and a old colleague set up a business, expanded. Uh, we ended up saying, "Where do we go next?" And mortgages mm-hmm. seemed to be the thing. The literally the days after being qualified as a mortgage advisor, I realised that the system was broken. The industry was terrible for paperwork, travel. Um, processes, um, old banking systems that were broken, trying to kind of clamour things together to try and make them work. Uh, 
And I realized that there's probably a pretty simple way to solve this problem yeah. of basically as a mortgage broker spending 10 to 15 hours on a client before you even knew if he was getting paid or not. Mm. And I just thought it was it was very bizarre considering I'd worked for years in insurance where you could submit an application online and that was it, done. You get paid and everyone's happy. Mortgages was very different. And I thought, hang on, we, we have online form software, online signature software, um, some automation tools. Why can't I build something that can help me solve this problem? And essentially what happened is I built a proof of concept for an online mortgage application to be used by brokers. And it caught some um, attention of uh, investors and people that own brokers that w- wanted to see what it was about and what it was for. Uh, one particular company in London said, um, I-, I get it, I get we can't invest in it because it's not a-, a thing, but mm. could you come and build this for us? Um and their plan is that they were going to bid for a government contract. And if they win it, they'd basically own 100% of affordable housing mortgage inquiries in the M25. It was worth three and a half billion quid. And they said, basically, we need something. We're going to go from like 100 applications a, a month to 500 a day. Yeah. We can't even recruit fast enough to no. deal with that. So this kind of technology will help us filter out good business, bad business, high, high low risk business. And you had no technical background. Well. No technical background. I just understood mortgages, right? So what was your brain at this point like? Um, I, I just kind of went, how hard can this be? <laughs> was that Was that correct or was that a bit of a naive... I think I think it was right. I don't Fair. think okay. it was. I don't just think someone it was, hadn't seen the problem or dotted the lines. Yeah. I think it was a simple problem to solve. The technology was there. The people were there. The people had tried things and not got there. Things okay. were being done in the banking system, but not for the mortgage brokers. Not for that. It was process. too niche, I guess. But you saw yeah. that it was a bigger yeah. problem. So I was just like. Uh, I liked creativity. I used to draw a lot. Uh, I liked design. Mm. I was interested in technology. And I was like, what could go wrong from taking a concept to a developer and saying, make that for me? Mm -hmm. So um, I joined forces with a friend I knew uh, in business who's a developer, a full stack developer. And he said, yeah, we we can do this. Yeah. Um, So I agreed. The company said, look, if you do this and we win this contract, you'll be set for life. We'll appoint you to the board. You'll have everything you ever wanted. Uh, an amazing character dangle for me. Mm. Um, essentially, I was chasing money the whole time. Mm. Uh, this is an interesting subject. It's come up quite a few in all mm-hmm. the podcasts that everyone's not chasing surprised. a milestone, yeah. like in a eureka moment. Yeah. Oh, you just said it. If you get you get all this money, you'll have everything you ever need. Yeah. I think every person I've spoken to in the last couple of few days we've done this, that, that that's not, not happened. I get it. It's... um. We have this we have this version of success that we're taught, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's a version of success that we realise, and the version of success that we're taught is material possessions, bank balance, mm-hmm. wealth. You know, a lot a lot of the companies that have a valuation attached to them have no money. <laughs> Yeah, I find that mental. Yeah. I always find that mental when you watch Dragon's Den, right? And they go in and they're like, oh, I've made a loss, loss, loss. And then someone goes, I'm going to give you <laughs> £50,000 yeah, to invest. And I'm yeah. like, the guy just stood up and basically said he's making no money. Mm-hmm. But because the idea yeah. is really great, you're bought in. Mm. It, is kind, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. I, but I, I find I, That's a whole other subject. I find money weird. Yeah. The whole thing of it. Like, 
it someone is. Someone controls. I still don't it, understand. Someone it. prints it. Yeah. Someone moves it around. Is it like is Digits. my money even even really in an account? <laughs> like because it's not sat in an account, is it? Like someone's not stacking up the money when I ask for it to come yeah. out. Someone's taking. I don't know. I find the so whole thing very I, odd. I I operate within the startup world in some respects. Um, uh, I'm director of Founder Institute Cotswolds, which is a startup accelerator. Um, and it's amazing to see the comparison between the small to medium business world and the startup world, where there's doom and gloom in the, in the small to medium business world where recession's looming, all this mm. stuff, and yet startup world, there's been billions thrown around like it's no one's business. And then Silicon Bank all of a sudden have a conversation with a company uh, that says, everything's good, all your investments are good, you know, money's sat in the bank, and three hours later, they close. Mm. At first, I was like, I don't understand this until yeah. someone explained it as how banking works, which is you deposit your money. The bank then buys securities with that money. If when they need to cash out, then securities will give back less than they put in, you've got no cash. So the companies have to close. And meanwhile, there's startups that have just raised money that literally lost 500 million overnight. Uh, it's just insane, and I can't get my head around that. I get the I get the concepts, and I get what people talk about, but that is just insane. Mm. Uh, trying to work that out for me, but being in the start world has, has taught me a lot about actually what it means to run a business and what wealth is, and uh, and the complete polar opposite to creating an impact or a change in the world, which is the other end of the mm. spectrum. Yeah. So I was chasing money how what i was taught that this life was this material possession this bank balance. so you went into this project you had this massive carrot really at the end yeah you i was like i'll do this project really cool. and then i'm done like so how long were you doing the project for where were 15 you? months okay uh a journey from 4 a.m uh into london returning home sometimes midnight mm -hmm. uh and at this time you couldn't have done it at home no Right. Okay. No, I was. I wasn't going to London every day, mm. but sometimes it was one day a week. Sometimes it was six days. Yeah. Um. But it was constant. It was a yeah. real high pressured. There was a lot on the line, really, yeah, for the company. I accepted it. It was, you know, a great six figure salary. I probably have a million pound house now, a multi million pound house in London. You know, it, it was everything that you think you'd ever want, mm -hmm. and I had to turn it down by the end of it. So, why did you have to turn it down? What happened what, at the end? I woke up one day to go and present like pretty much the final project. We were done. Um, like every day, uh, there was a lot going on at the same time. Um, so to put this into perspective a little bit, this wasn't like a, you know, a work thing. You know, my father-in-law had just been diagnosed with cancer. We were living back with him in Birmingham for six months or so um, with a view to moving back down here, which we did eventually. Um, we were also trying for children mm -hmm. we've been told we'd probably never have children and we were going through um, IVF um, so that's a whole that, other that interesting a, topic because we always that's the whole because we talk about process, that from, a lot like, of people talk about from the woman's perspective yeah um, and a feminine male energy like I obviously don't know your medical history between the, the two of you but how was that for you obviously something that you can't control like yeah, yes, it's down to doctors and yeah, it's weird. Like you leave you leave the future of your family in the hands of scientists. Mm. Um, the process feels un unusual at first, mm -hmm. um, 
and then you just buy into the process and you just get on with it. Mm-hmm. It's when you lose um, rounds or chances that it gets quite emotional because you're counting on scientists to do the thing that they've researched yeah. and to to do the thing that they're so confident about mm-hmm. and you expect it to be a perfected process and it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be quite an emotional ride. Um, and it is tough emotionally for, for, for both. Both parties. And, you know, there's there's stories about people, you know, divorcing over it and breaking up over it. Can and you we empathise we to that? Strong. I, I do. It's yeah. it's tough, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and we were lucky enough and strong enough to, to keep it together. Uh, and in the end, it was amazing. And and like many people say, it kickstarts the system. And yeah. we had a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, it was, um, we wouldn't have been able to do that if it, uh, I, I smoked heavily for 13 years from an okay. early teenager. Um, I smoked about 40 a day. Wow. Um, from early teens until basically when we tried to have children. Yeah. Um, when I was tested before and after, uh, I stopped smoking. It completely reversed any damage. Wow. The doctor said, you, you would have been fine, actually. Now, obviously, it was both of us, so it wouldn't have been perfect. But um, for me... So they, they, they believe the smoking had the impact? Yeah. Singularly. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was only the smoking. <gasps> yeah, which is crazy. You know, I, I used to be one of those re- rebels that was like, won't affect me, I'll, I'll live forever. Well, everyone says I won't get cancer, you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, so simultaneously... And also, when you're 13, you're not thinking about whether you'd be able to have no, children. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, your radar. what's the next recreational drug on the list? <laughs> <laughs> not quite 13. You know. um, so, so it was like, simultaneously, I was quitting smoking and seeing the effects uh, while my my father-in-law was died of lung cancer. <laughs> and uh, you're going through IVF. And going through IVF. And you've got a massive and project. And going on, doing this project, highly stressful, yeah. a lot on the line. I was, um, you know, the, the signs were all there mm-hmm. and I didn't notice them at the time, but on reflection, I knew what was going okay, on. Okay, so anyone thinking they might be having some signs, mm-hmm. what would you say? I mean, I know everyone's different, but what were your signs pre? Um, a massive fluctuation in appetite. So okay. feeling like you're binge eating and then not eating for God knows how long. Okay. You can go hours or days without eating and it doesn't affect you in any way because you, you haven't got an appetite and then all of a sudden you will binge eat like hell. Okay. Everything you can find. Um, sleep is a problem. Um, I'm a great sleeper. Mm. Like I'm a really deep sleeper. I go straight past REM sleep, straight deep. Mm. I've used the apps like it tells me. I literally like... drop and I'm gone and I sleep all the way through unless I'm, you know, something heavily loud oh. or something works. Yeah, me. yeah. Um, so I get good sleep in a short amount of time mm. every night. Uh, but in that time, I wasn't really sleeping. So you weren't sleeping, you weren't eating. Mm. Did your wife pick it up? Uh, yeah, because... Um, there was one point where I was getting hives all over my body every day. Oh my gosh. Like bumps and like blisters and bumps all over my chest and my stomach and my arms and all up my neck. Mm. You could tell. It was so obvious. And I, but I was so set on the risk involved in the goal of completing this project. Um, 
uh, I I thought I could work it away, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought it was like being at the gym. You sweat it away and the calories come off, you know. And were you hoping that like the eureka moment would come once you closed the project, everything would be okay? Yeah. You just needed to close the project. Exactly. It was like, I'll do the project, I'll get the money, we'll get the house, we'll have a great life, we'll have the kids and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and then I got to London. So I left home on the day I was presenting the final project. Uh, I did what I did every day, grabbed my bag, laptop, a few snacks, can of ginger beer or whatever, uh, jumped in the car. I was in Birmingham at the time, so I went to the coach station instead of the train. Um, out the car, realised I was slightly late for the coach, ran from where I parked the car to the uh, coach, mm. jumped on the coach, on the coach for two and a half hours-ish, um, got to London, Victoria, off the coach, on a tube, off the tube, standing in Lime Street, um, took a stretch, you know, one of those, yeah. oh, thank God, I've been travelling so long, to kind of stretched and put my hands on the back of my hips yeah. and felt that my shirt was wet. And something in my head went, why is my shirt wet? wet. And I, fe- I can feel it now, I'm like tingling. And I, and I felt my body go into like the fight, flight or freeze kind of situation. Okay. And I and I know the feeling now because I've recognised it since for different occasions. Some sometimes good, mm. um, but this was like something's gone wrong. Mm. Uh, my brain was trying to put together the pieces of ginger beer, running, explosion, laptop, work, destroyed. Oh, oh is that what you're thinking? That your is that what your brain like, went? Oh, oh, so you thought that you? Now I knew that everything was in the cloud, right? Logically, yeah, you could have got it. I knew it was in the cloud. I knew it was backed up. I knew we didn't lose anything. But in that moment, I thought it was gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something in my brain triggered. The first thing I did was grab my phone and call my wife. And she picked up the phone and said, Hi, Dan, you okay? And uh, I lost all feeling <laughs> in my legs. Um, oh. It's funny. Well, going back to it. It doesn't matter how many times you tell the story. Yeah, it still hits you. It feels the same. Well, I suppose you're going back, you're reliving that emotion. Um, And it it, it was weird because it was almost like something was telling me it was coming. And I just said, nah, it's not us. It's fine. I'll just get it done. I'll finish it and we'll be fine. And in that moment, I dropped to the floor and simultaneously realised that the beliefs I had about London (laughs) for all this time, you know, soulless, commuting Mm. kind of place to live or work, um, was proved wrong when three strangers literally came and dragged me off the floor. Wow. And... um, I was, uh, I couldn't speak. I was, I lost my speech a little bit. Um, and was your wife on the phone at this point still? Yeah. So she could like, could hear it going on. I, I think so. I, I can't remember must, actually. Yeah. But I, I think, um, I think I must have, she she heard, yeah, she heard me kind of break down and she could hear mm. me sobbing and she was trying to console me. And she, I, I remember hearing her say, get on the train and come home. 
like, it's time to come But she didn't really realise that you couldn't but she didn't get know. on the train. <laughs> right. Um, so I, there was like, there's these big concrete stones mm-hmm. uh, where I was, I remember, uh, in front of um, a big building. And uh, I remember just being sat on there uh, for a few minutes and um, and just realising that I was numb was mm. the strangest feeling. And um, probably after about half an hour or an hour, I started to feel my legs come back a little bit. There was some. So feeling. you were sat there for about an hour. Yeah. Were the strangers with you still? No, no, they they had left. They'd kind of said, "Are you okay?" And I just went, "Yeah, I'm just going to chill. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here for a little bit. I'm sure I'll be fine." And um. And had you missed your meeting by now? Yeah, yeah. So I was late. I was late for the meeting. Uh, were they ringing you? Like what? Yeah, so I was having phone calls and I was uh, ignoring them. And then, um, uh, yeah, I just decided to uh, get back on a coach and go home. And uh, spoke to the company later that day and just said, I'm glad glad we're coming to the end because I'm finished. I can't can't do this anymore. And, um, And that was it. I called it a day. I called my developer and said, transfer everything. I don't want it. How was your developer at that point? Because he'd obviously done it with you. He was kind of annoyed at them. Right. Like it, 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 the project was starting to become difficult anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he was frustrated. And um, in, in all fairness, you know, uh, he, he, was, he was the reason, really, that project got done. Like, I was... I was there it. as like a visionary. I, I understood how things worked. I could explain how more the mortgage decision tree kind of worked and what happens if they say yes or no to the questions. But actually um, uh, translating that into something that worked mm. was fascinating. It mm. was it was magic. It's the only way I can describe it. Uh, so I've got a massive respect for developers and people in tech because... It is a language that the ones that don't take that leap and get involved yeah. in will never understand. Um, and of course, there's arguments now with no code tools and technology and all sorts. But someone that developed that behind it. Yeah, exactly. There's always a really great developer behind yeah, yeah. it. It's like it's like that weird advert at the minute with Squarespace, where they they're like a website that builds websites. What about a human that builds humans? humans. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like what about code that Writes code so you don't have to code, you know. It's or uh, chat GPT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Writes, writes things when yeah, you yeah. don't know what to write. It's There's loads yeah. of different... I, I watched a new AI one where you can... It's for um, like graphics. And you can say that... I saw something yesterday. Someone made Star Wars kittens. Yeah. So different kittens <laughs> yeah. in different Star Wars outfits for this new AI chat. And they look great. They did like um, baby super, superheroes yeah. as well. And that was another one. And there's tools now where, you know, um, you can say an app for for time management based on the job of a social worker and it'll create a user interface for an app. Wow. Just out of magic. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan and believer of technology. I think mm-hmm. it does more good than bad, um, no matter what the media likes to tell you. So you've pulled out of the project. Mm. You've walked away. Yep. I'm guessing everyone with you was very supportive. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have to hand it to my wife. Mm. Uh, 
I have never come across anyone so strong and supportive being faced with really difficult situations. Mm. Her dad had cancer. We were trying to have children. Mm. You couldn't have layered on any more, really. Um, So for her to still be that supportive, Mm. for me to get through that, I mean, it took a few months for me to properly recover. Um, And in that process, I was coming up to 30 at the time. You could call it... young, really, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I had, I'm, I'm really thankful now and grateful to myself for taking the leap of something completely unknown. And despite what it did in the end, um, it led me on a path to discovering so much about myself. It's really interesting. So we've had different conversations of doing this, but it seems that the breaking point, right, where everyone's like, this is the worst possible thing that could happen to me actually ends up being the thing that everyone's really grateful for because it's the making of you for the next really is yeah so we've spoken to chris and our sales team and um his liver exploded and he was in a coma and all this sort of stuff so he had to rebuild himself um but the reflection on it was like but if i hadn't done that I wouldn't be this person yeah. and I wouldn't have this empathy and I would and I would still be this person going in this direction. And I guess the one thing I'm learning from all of this is like it's kind of awful that something very similar to cybersecurity, that something awful has to happen for us to make a change and realise that our resilience or our bridge is broken. Yeah. Um and every that seems to be a common thing with all of this that we we push ourselves too far or we try and like you said, you like I, all I need to do is just get that. Yeah. project done but it was too out of reach your body was already telling you maybe six months before that you're not going to meet the finish end uh, i don't like this narrative if i'm honest okay and and it's because so what i do you know i've said a little bit about my early early life in school and i think that drives me a lot now to change the path of of young people mm-hmm. so i do a hell of a lot with universities and colleges to try and change their their kind of bridge from education to employment um and it's really hard for me to tell that story to inspire a young person without them feeling like they have to hit rock bottom before they can do something they enjoy or love no it's like how can we do that how How do we not have to go through rock bottom to have gratitude to do what we want and i think that's why i'm here telling this story yeah because i think if you can if you can just listen and learn from the story instead of having to experience it i think that's enough mm-hmm. um I, I hope it's enough mm-hmm. and i hope that no one listens to this and takes the message that they have to get to some kind of low in order to s- feel to the, the high, high and just to appreciate that like you you can just do stuff mm-hmm. and it's up to you and mm-hmm. you know it's your choice you can just go and do it mm-hmm. but saying that there is no way on this earth I would have the business and life I have now if I didn't do everything I did before. I entered the design world very different from many designers in the sense that I didn't go from education. I'm a completely self-taught designer. Before I became a designer five years ago professionally, I'd never done it professionally for a company. Um, Apart from that one project I kind of managed a Mm. team to do. Um, uh, I'd never... I'd never done it professionally and yet 
I'd run a business, but it was in financial services. But that meant that I built the experience in communication, dealing with clients, sales, marketing, operations, those things. And I think that put me in good stead to to eventually make what I loved and what my passion was a really significant part of my life and make it my dream job, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it put me in a position where I could get to goals much, much quicker than if I didn't do that. So you don't have to reach the low, but what you do have to do is go do things. You have to experience them and you have to do, and it might not be exactly what you need to do, but it's a stepping stone. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like the fact that people may take this as they have to reach a low to, to reach the high. Yeah. But to take this as, uh, just embody it as your own experience. Just almost imagine what it would have been like in my shoes or Chris's shoes or, whoever else um, you know that's been through these processes and told these stories um, and try and feel it like they did. Um, you, there's something about the nervous system that takes these as signals mm-hmm. and uh, and you can react to them as if it was real, if you want to. You don't have to experience it for real. What was your recovery like? How did you recover did you? I mean, did you recover? I mean, you say a, a month or so that you... It was a couple of months, yeah. But so, was that full recovery or was that you just being able to function? Yeah, that, that was me um, That was me finding, uh, for want of a better phrase, that was me finding my reason to live again. Okay. And... Um, Is that where you were? When breakdown, when you couldn't work out? Were you like in that dark place? I was like... Okay. What do we do? Well, because your project had been your your compass or Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Right, so. okay. It'd been like yeah, it'd been the goal, the map and the compass all right. in one really. You know, all your eggs in one basket, yeah. this will change our lives kind of thing. Um and uh what really happened is we moved back from Birmingham back down to Sirencester, uh, back to, down to South Cerny where we live now. Um but we couldn't find a place uh, in the village that we wanted to be mm. in. So we stayed with some friends for a little bit. Okay. And I was at their dining table one day and um, talking about, you know, what do I do next? It was like a daily conversation all yeah. day because I was trying to figure it out. Um, and one day my, my wife reminded me and she said, uh, I remember talking to her about me wanting to be a designer or do design at school or something creative one of the things was like voiceovers for cartoons okay um and i was i grew up on uh, like japanese animated films so i was really into that stuff and uh and she said <laughs> i remember saying so i'd love to do you know graphic design like i always wanted to do as a kid and she just said why don't you do that then yeah and it was weird how i needed that one little nudge to completely change my entire perspective on what we were going through, uh, the what we were working towards, what what happiness was, and I went into this deep, deep place of um, exploring what all these things meant. What is happiness, and what is fulfillment, and what is um, what do we need in order to be successful, and what does success look like? Um, and then uh, just decided to go do. What was your con- conclusion after you came out of the deep dive? Do you know that yet? Do you know what makes you happy? 
Um, I believe happiness is a state, meaning that there's a there's a time limit. Okay. Uh, so when we think about things that make us happy, if we want to continue being happy, we have to continuously do the things that make us happy. Okay. For example, if you, um, it's right in saying money makes you happy mm-hmm. because you buy things that make you happy. The problem is it doesn't last. So that's why it's always the next thing and always yeah. the next thing and so, the next more of money. and the Exactly. Next. So where do I get the next bit of money to get the next thing? And it's a, as we know, it's a bad path to be on. Yeah. So I now understand that there's a big difference between happiness, a temporary state, mm-hmm. and fulfillment, which okay. is a a larger, bigger than you purpose to be alive, working, uh, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I found my purpose in um my work what i enjoyed doing what i believe um is an incredible tool to help us change the hearts and minds of humans mm. uh all over the world and okay so we're saying we don't want anyone to get there we don't want the science to get there the industry that i work in is that 65% of us are going to be burnt out what happens if someone knows that that's their their thing, but they also know that they can be on... I guess what I'm going on with this is like, what happens if your thing, your fulfillment is your job, mm-hmm. but it's stressful, manic, but it's still your compass? Is it like a balance of professional and personal? Is it a... You, yeah, like your fulfillment's your work, but if, if you... If, for example... You found your fulfillment, but it became stressful or the deadlines got hard again. Is that a state and it's because your fulfillment's continuously changing? Or is it because it's circumstantial and you need to maybe just change some cogs around? Does that make sense what I'm saying? They're like, what if your fulfillment is your job, but then all of a sudden your job becomes really sex- stressful? When. So I think probably the latter. So okay. I think. When you find something that is fulfilling, Mm -hmm. so your job is fulfilling, that doesn't mean it makes you happy 24 hours a day. Okay, yeah, I like that. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Seven days a week. Yeah. When when you find something that's fulfilling, Mm -hmm. you do it in spite of the bad days. Right. The bad days become like something you brush off. The bad days become something that you go, tomorrow will be better because it doesn't happen every day. But I get to do it again. It doesn't matter what happens in the in-between because you know that looking at it from a bigger picture, you still get to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I often look at it as if, you know, I'm just, I'm just grateful to be able to do it every day and there might be bad days. Gratitude is such a big piece of this, isn't it? Like, it is. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, cha- it changes your whole perspective on things. And it's such a simple thing to do. I think we often forget that there is a instant way to change how your brain is wired. Mm. Uh, and it's often just by being grateful for something. Okay. And if that is your work, yeah. and we spend most of our life at work, you are way ahead of 99% of the people in this planet. <laughs> I mean, that's a nice thing to think about, isn't it? That the fact that oh, you know, I'm really lucky, like... 
you know, mine's manic and it's all the time. And I do kind of make a joke about it. But if it was the other way, would I like it? <laughs> yeah, I it's know. almost like you like the bad as well. I like, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely that messiness. Yeah, yeah. Like I like the bad. I know the job's my compass. It is all of me and all, and I'm all giving to it. So that's why I get probably all out of it. Um, I mean, I'm Daniel, who's sat in here that people can't see. I mean, occasional wee breaks would be great, but <laughs> other than that, other than that, we're doing good. So I guess it's um, your expectation and what you're happy with. I think sometimes, and interestingly, with some of the people I think is also what other people think. Like other people think that you shouldn't be working all the time, or other people think that you shouldn't be doing it on a Sunday or whatever. And people always find it like you know my family like i'll be reading something about marketing or an article about marketing and so you know used to be like oh god can you give not give it a a break but i really really enjoy it whereas if like if the same thing was like football or rugby or something if i was constantly watching the matches it's like a norm so no one would be like are you really watching your favorite football team every single time but my favorite thing is they're like what you're going to another football match yeah yeah yeah. no one said no (laughs) No, one says that that. so sometimes it's like the norms isn't it like if you're happy with a high stressful busy job it's knowing what you're going into isn't it and you went into a job that you probably didn't know the parameters all the stress and you made it up yourself and do you think knowing yourself now so well if someone gave you the job opportunity would you be like no because that's not a job that would fulfill me yes and i do it every day right there are uh, actually it was only i think a year ago year Mm -hmm. and a half ago um someone suggested why don't you create a criteria for accepting clients and i told this to someone earlier and she was like what you you screen clients like to do to do what i said to to turn them away (laughs) if if i don't think it's someone i can work with and she found that really bizarre but i I think that's a really sensible thing to do actually Mm. but you're not wasting each other's time right no exactly yeah um you know, and there's certain criteria, and uh, I'm, I'm really hesitant to work with someone whose focus is purely profit, and I want to know that we're solving a bigger problem. So if I can either instill that in someone and, and motivate them and get them excited about solving a bigger problem, uh, rather than just making money and that mm. become the be all and end all, I get I can get excited about that, but uh, but unless they can, I can't. So w- I don't know why I would spend the time that I put so much precious energy into um working with a client for for that purpose it's just not me so um you are being more choosy to make sure it fulfilled you and and to my detriment sometimes okay and to my wife's disappointment (laughs) (laughs) like how much were they gonna pay you you know um, but then, like you said, you could end up doing burnout, or they might walk yeah, yeah. away, and it wouldn't. You probably know in the long run that it's not gonna. Yeah, and, and I think it's that. I think. It's and just also, a you could take that person on, right? And then your dream project could walk in two weeks later, and you don't have the capacity to yeah. take that dream project. Yeah, and or, I have accepted or, one or two jobs which I thought this might be tricky, but I'll accept my decision to do it, and if it goes bad. I'll just, like I said, fulfillment isn't happy all the time, you know? No. You know that that client's going to finish and then you're going to get a good one and everything will be fine again. But also, has anyone that you thought on paper shouldn't have worked out actually has? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, probably once or twice. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes someone puts a facade out. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't believe a good business idea just comes from money. 
Correct. They must have had to care about something yeah. or a problem they wanted to resolve. Because otherwise, loads of no, I just don't know. I, I'm not. I can't mention any names. But yeah. There has been times where I have played um, the situation where I've known someone that we we didn't not like each other. We didn't like. We just kind of knew each other, mm. and they asked me to do work, and I knew they'd be terrible to work with, mm-hmm. but. Game in my early design career, I used to play games to see which parameters I could push and how how I would okay. create what I wanted out of this career. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was to do with pricing and just throwing things out there sure. and what have you, like a lot of small businesses do early on. Um, but I was a bit audacious with it. So this, this person in particular um, would ask me to do some work, and I, I remember saying to my wife, "I really don't want to work with him, but c- could be good." For the bank balance mm. for a short time, and I might just um, go with it if it'd pay me like triple. <laughs> I've had a lot of people do this. Don't want to do this job, so I'm going to put triple. So I'm going to, I'm just going to throw a number at him. And if he comes, and back. if he doesn't take it, that's a success for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and if he does, I'll suck it up. Like, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> the bank. Yeah, I did it with the same person. I did it four jobs in a row tripled it and he kept paying it until one day he said oh, I think it's a bit getting a bit much so I'm gonna go somewhere else and I was like thank god but that that taught me so much in that process mm. that our tolerance that we we have a tolerance but it's not fixed mm-hmm. and we get to decide what the flex is there and we can play with it and that was that was a really good lesson actually for me uh, and a good insight into um, but if you how feel, we flex if it. you feel fulfilled in your job, like salary, because you were interested in the work that you were doing for that person, right? Because you liked graphics. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, so yeah. the actual project mm-hmm. was fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. I like doing the work, just not yeah. not the person. The money was fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. So if you're sat on there, say there's like three things in the pot to make you fulfilled. Two out of the three were there, and that one bit you probably didn't have that all the time it was only if you were doing meetings or stuff so 90% of the project right you were fulfilled I think maybe that's another stress thing like if you feel seen at work you're you like the thing that you're doing mm-hmm. you're getting paid what you fairly think that you should be paid yep. if it's a couple of stressful a few times a week you'll take it yeah. it's when only one of the things out of the fulfillment that tick your boxes aren't being met and I think I, I do believe that's such a fine line mm. that if like if everything's okay, but you get a stressful day every now and again, and then you don't get one of the other things, I think it's only one. I think it only takes a partnership. A yeah. I think it only takes up one thing because there's it's not um, it's not a singular event. It's a it's a trickle of events mm. that happen, even not in reality, just in their mind that happens because of that one extra thing. So it might be. They didn't get the pay rise they they want they thought they were getting or that they needed and expectations aren't being managed or yeah, yeah, it yeah. might just be that the days hours of work change or whatever mm-hmm. it might be that starts a trickle down effect in their brain that goes I'm I don't like this I'm not enjoying this I'm less happy uh, I'm fulfilled doing the job but these things aren't working with me I wonder if someone else will give it me. So I guess the point just to close this all of where I've started is that. I think the stress and the burnout thing, although it's high in my industry, it, it transcends 
to all industries and mm. to all people and all walks of life. Mm-hmm. So obviously our audience is, I'm hoping is listening because maybe they're seeing someone that might be going through this and they want to be support. Maybe they think that they're not and they're trying to prove themselves right that they're not going through it. Or maybe they know that they're going through some. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily the job or the industry. There's There's factors that we could all take from it and from mm-hmm. your story. What would you say to anyone that's listening obviously we're a male dominated industry it's not something that gets talked openly what would you say would be some either coping mechanisms or things that you wish you had been aware of um that you would recommend someone doing i think over the last five or six years i've got really good at self-care okay and that's quite a buzzword Mm. uh, if you like in in personal development or health and wellness um but it it really is something that we need to focus on to the point where um, over the years I've figured out different ways of doing different things mm-hmm. out of my comfort zone and those, those kinds of things. Um, you know, I started kayaking a few years ago nice. and I was like, I always wanted to get on the water, but just never had the chance. Lived here for 13 years and never got on the lakes. I've never been on the lakes. I've lived here my whole life. Yeah. How old was that? <laughs> Yeah, and like this year I'll, you know, go open water swimming, um, rock climbing. That's a common thing. Everyone's saying getting into cold water. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people keep telling me this. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great meme at the minute with a guy that holds up the sign saying you don't have to tell people that you're cold plunge or something. <laughs> um, which is really funny. Uh, you can go, oh, it says you can cold plunge and not tell, tell everyone about, about it. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so self care has become a, a big realization for me. And it's definitely helped. Mm. But um, something that I did very early on, uh, very early on in the design um, career, about five or six years ago, a lot of my early clients were um, coaches. Okay. And I managed to design things like their online material for Mm -hmm. their courses and things like that, which meant that I get to learn everything (laughs) that they do for free. And they're paying me to learn their stuff, basically. Yeah. And I did that with dozens of coaches, some of them really well-known um, and learned a lot through that process. So I used to put the stuff that they were teaching into action while I was designing. And that was great. Um, one of the things that I learned was uh, the really black and white practical exercise of figuring out what is enough. And I found that the most enlightening. Okay. And I realized, and what I, what I think I realized is for everyone who thinks they want to be a millionaire or a billionaire, when you break it down as to what house you want, what car you want, where you want to eat every day, mm-hmm. what you want your life to be like, mm-hmm. where you want to wake up, all those small details, if you add up how much money you need to make that happen, it's nowhere near a million. Mm. So I think we're shooting for an unrealistic goal. And if we really understand what is enough for us, be fine like i'm i'm looking at downsizing like not upsizing i'm looking at going into a field off grid that you know living off the land i don't want ties to electric companies you, or whatever if you speak to my dad that would be like literally the way to go because he thinks we're all <laughs> gonna go because there won't be enough food on the planet so he'd probably advise you on that one okay so a lot of things here that outside pressures are thinking that you need more learning yeah, what, what is your fulfillment and then yeah. once you've got your fulfillment that might be like you said living off the land in a shack. Might be. And that's okay. You know, you know people tell you of these um, these comparisons to like third world countries. 
there's an account on Instagram of um, these small kids in Africa. There must be five that dance mm. and they post every day yeah. of them dancing. Yeah. And there's always like these comparisons of like, oh, they're so happy with nothing. There's a reason for that. Like they've figured out what is enough. Some well, then, of them but don't get. Aware, the, but they're not aware. They're of not the aware stuff. of it, and they don't get a choice. Is what I, I think. I, I mean, from what I've learned, is that we're overexposed. Yeah. And I, I think I said on the other podcast, you know, in my mum's generation, when someone bought a house, they'd be like, "I've bought it here. This is my dress in Nottingham. Please send me a postcard." <laughs> If my friend does it, I can now Google Maps her house and see how well she's doing. You know, like if someone's got a new job, you can find where the address is. You can check out the company on LinkedIn. You can see if it's a good culture. Mm. Um, if you know people, weirdly, uh, I always wanted a Tesla, and I got my Tesla. I, unless you know me, you don't know I've got it. Mm-hmm. Where previous me when I bought cars or got the car that I thought I wanted, I put a picture up it and put it all over Instagram and look <laughs> yeah. at my new car. Um, but every milestone, when I got my Mini when I was 21, when I got my Audi, like I always had that. Mm-hmm. And I thought this time I was like, actually this car's going to be for me. Like I wanted it. It doesn't need to go on social media. Like if someone mentions it. Yeah. And anyone that goes to me like, oh my God, your car's so nice. I'm like, yeah, and I'm really grateful. What makes you happy when no one's looking? Right, like mm. I didn't need to put it anywhere, and like so, so many people have gone. Oh, I never knew you had that car. I was like, oh, I've had it since November, and they're yeah. like, oh. If you feel just as good about that purchase without anyone knowing you made it, it's the right purchase. Right, but <laughs> yeah. I also know that at each one there wasn't a eureka moment. Yeah, my vulnerabilities or my issues or whatever didn't get better because I had a Tesla or I had the Mini. Yeah, they were the, still there. It's coffee. It's a spike. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so on that note, there's so much. I feel like this topic could go on for a very long time. There's lots to unpack. But anyone that's listening, I think lessons learned that is if you do hit rock bottom, you can get back up. And we suggest not hitting rock bottom. Self-care and learning that what makes you fulfilled is a way forward. Thank, Thank you, you, Danny. If anyone wants to reach out or connect with you, where is the best place to find you? Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll find me, the actual Danny or Danny Matthews. You'll find me there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kelly.